Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Great to be with you. Great to see some of you back from Big Summer, from Crew West Big Summer. Um, and uh, great to see some of you here a little early because you're off to pick up uh, kids and other people from our, our own camping ground. But uh, camping ground has gone really well. There has been a little bit of a COVID outbreak uh, down there. So COVID still sort of seems to rear its head and kind of get in the way of things. But on the whole, everything has been great and God has been extremely good. So let's pray that God might give us understanding of his word as we look at together now. Heavenly Father, Lord, your word is a comfort to the challenged and a challenge to the comfortable. And only you know which our hearts need the most. And so we do ask that your word would do its work in our hearts, each as we have need. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's an old movie that I, well, I won't say enjoy. This is not an ad for it. But it's, it's called The Book of Eli uh, with Denzel Washington. Came down out in 2010. Anyone old enough to remember it? Yeah, Felice is volunteering to be old enough to, to remember it. Um, it's... You know, it's, it's always fascinated me about this movie. Um, let me just kind of bring you up to speed. It's a really simple story. It's half past the future, only it's the bad kind. The world has kind of fallen to pieces and everything's been destroyed. There's no civilization left. And uh, Eli, played by Denzel Washington, he's this kind of wasteland wandering badass. And he's been uh, given the job of transporting the very last copy of the most important book in the world from one place to another. And he's being hunted by the bad guy who's this kind of warlord who wants to use this book to kind of control the remaining survivors. And two things become really apparent about this movie right at the beginning. And I'm giving you, I'm giving absolutely nothing away, even though it's not worth <laughs> watching in the first place. But uh, one, is, one is, the book is the Bible. It's, uh, the book is, it's literally, it's the last copy of the Bible in existence that he's got to transport. And the second thing is that Eli's mission has actually been given to him by God himself. Uh, you know, and you know, God is, is sending Eli, this is a, 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 on a mission to transport this last Bible that's, that's in existence on this kind of divinely inspired route to safety. That's the whole setup of the movie. This is a Hollywood movie in 2010, can you believe it? Um, but this is the whole setup of the movie. There's no secondary meaning, there's no allegory, there's no metaphor, that's just the movie. And... Look, you know, it's not a great movie, partly because, you know, most post-apocalyptic movies to me, they kind of look like a Western being acted out by homeless people. Um, but I actually, I got bored. I got bored. And here's the reason why I got bored. Because once you realise that the movie is 100% serious about God being with Eli, it just sucks all of the tension out of the movie. I mean, after all, how, how can Eli fail when God is literally on his side doing the most important thing in the world that he could possibly be doing? Uh, and, you know, once God does become an active participant in the story, you, you just know what the outcome is going to be. Uh, God's presence is the, the guarantee of success. Uh, and I bring this up because that's sometimes how I think we can feel as we read the Bible. Especially when we read some parts of the Bible, like we read some of the stories of the great heroes of the faith that we've been highlighting these last few weeks from Hebrews 11. It can feel like there's just no tension in the story. God is part of the story, and so we know how it's going to work out. Now, to be honest with you, I'm sure that's not how the great heroes of the faith felt as they lived their lives, but it can be how we feel when we read their stories. You know, Noah, great flood, but, you know, we know he's going to be saved. We know his family's going to be saved. Abraham, you know, a sacrifice is provided for Isaac. 
Uh, Moses, he is 40 years in the wilderness, but then God uses him amazingly and powerfully. And it's frustrating, I think, for us sometimes because our lives never feel that neat, do they? So much of our life is uncertain. So much of what is going to happen to us in our lives, we just don't know. And bad stuff happens to Christians all the time. Christians struggle with sickness, both physical and mental. Marriages break down, people lose their jobs, people struggle financially, our, our kids don't always become Christian. We, we know some of the struggles, especially in our church, over the last 12 months or so, we know some of the very real struggles that we have. We face an uncertain and at times a frightening future. And so sometimes reading about these great heroes of the faith, it's helpful but it's not immediately relatable. And so how do we, how do we actually stick with God? How do we actually remain faithful to God throughout all of the ups and downs, throughout all of the the uncertainties of life? How do we get an unshakable trust in God, especially in the kind of world in which we live in today? Because the truth is that the great men and women of faith down through the centuries, they have always lived lives of uncertainty, uh, facing down unknown futures. But by God's grace, they are not mastered by those uncertainties. In fact, they master them. And you, and you can too. You too can become a hero of the faith. And that's what I want to explore today. I've got two questions for you uh, today to share with you. One is, uh, what do you need to be a hero of the faith? And then second of all, how do, you, how do you get it? And it's all from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 38. So come with me there now and keep your, your Bibles open. Firstly then, what do we need to be a hero of the faith? Well, we do need the kind of faith of the heroes of Hebrews 11, 32 to 38. Uh, It's a bit of a a long list that we have there, uh, but it's not quite as straightforward as it might seem as you just read through it. Uh, The list of the heroes is actually divided into two halves, and the turning point is actually the middle of verse 35. So the first part of the list from verses 32 to 35, all of them are the kinds of heroes who, you know, they went from weakness to strength, uh, from powerlessness to positions of power. They went from defeat to triumph. You know, they escaped from their enemies. They won their battles. They, they looked dead, but then they came alive again. They snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. Uh, they succeeded. They were triumphant. They are the triumphant heroes of the faith. And, you know, so lots of them are named, uh, Gideon and Samson and uh, Barak, King David. Others aren't named, but we kind of know who they are from their, their stories. So, you know, uh, lions' mouths being closed, well, uh, we know the story well, don't we? That's Daniel when he's thrown to the lions. Or, uh, in, you know, and again, it's, that's a great story, it's a great miracle, great intervention that God does to, to rescue Daniel. Uh, the bit there about fire is probably, of course, Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who were thrown into a fiery furnace that would have been heated up seven times hotter than usual. Uh, and yet when they survived, not only did they survive, they came out not even smelling of smoke. You know, the people in this first part of the list, all of them, they're great victories. They're they're great stories. Uh, These are the ones that always make their ways into children's Bibles. Uh, They are the triumphant heroes of the faith. And it is very attractive to think that that's how the Christian life works. It's tempting to think that by becoming a person of faith, it's almost like an insurance policy that you will avoid all of life's difficulties. It's tempting to think, you know, that uh, the man of faith will never be sick, only healthy. 
The woman of faith will never be poor, only rich. The person with enough faith will experience only blessings and never any problems. But I do want to say, if that is your faith, if that's what you think faith means, then I'm very sorry for you. Because if your faith ends at verse 35, then you're no hero. Your faith is shakable. And you will not last. You will not endure. Because there is a second half to this list. There are the others. The others who had faith. The others who in verse 39 are commended as having exactly the same faith. And yet, what did they receive? Well, their lives went in a very complete a very different direction, didn't they? You know, and it is true, you know, for every Peter who was imprisoned but the church prayed and he was released, there was a Stephen who was martyred for his, for, he was stoned to death for proclaiming Christ. And for every David who goes from being, uh, you know, a, a shepherd and, and a fugitive to the great king of all Israel, there is an Elijah who is hunted and persecuted for his entire life. You see, the second half of the list are the the suffering heroes of the faith. And it's a very different list. There are the others, the the others who trusted God, the others who obeyed God, the others who had the same faith in God, but there was no escape. There was no miracle. There was no intervention. The others who were tortured and flogged and imprisoned and stoned and exiled and even sawn into, we're told there. They did not escape from the edge of the sword. They were slain by it. And all of these things that are talked about there, they they really did happen. A lot of them are probably references to what are called the the Maccabean martyrs, which is a a group of Jews who lived in between the two testaments, and many of whom did uh, die in horrific ways for their faith in God and their refusal to, to reject the one who they trusted in, even under great duress. But these, this second half here, these, this second half of the list, the suffering heroes of the faith, they're still heroes. They still had faith. But no miracle, no intervention, no victory. And when you read a, a list like that, when you, you, you see the, the full sweep of God's people, it's, it's hard not to reflect on it. It's, it's hard not to come to the conclusion that we live incredibly safe lives. I know there's some real difficulties and some real hardships that we do face, and I don't want to take away from any of them. But on the whole, our suffering is just not comparable with theirs, is it? So often our greatest struggles in our lives is just that, you know, our designer little lives aren't working out quite the way that we wanted them to, you know? The realisation that God's plans for our life are so often different to our plans for our life. And I know that's hard. I struggle with that just as much as anyone. But most Christians in most countries, in most places and at most times have lived a heartbeat from death for faith in Jesus Christ. And even today, Christians around the world, they need to be ready to to preach, pray or die at a moment's notice. And however hard our lives are now, they're They're just not like that, are they? Now, did the suffering heroes have any less faith than the triumphant heroes? And the answer that Hebrew says is not one bit. 
Because actually in the end, all of them faced death and the unknown. And they did not know whether or not God would rescue them. Let me just give you one example. This is my, my favourite example. That's the example of, of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, the ones who work on a thrown into the fire. The story, of course, is, is Daniel chapter 3, if you want to go away and read it sometime. But uh, the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, he'd, he ordered that everyone had to bow down to this great statue that Nebuchadnezzar had built and bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's gods. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, this is in uh, chapter 3, verses 7 to 18 of the book of Daniel, they, they stand before Nebuchadnezzar and they actually, you know, this is the most powerful king of the day, the one who literally holds their, their lives in his hands and they say to King Nebuchadnezzar, they say, look, we know our God can save us and we think our God will save us, but even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down to your idols, we're not worshipping your gods. Now, that's the faith of a hero. That's the faith of someone who trusts God and trusts what God is doing in their life, no matter how hard it might seem, no matter how uncertain it might feel. That's the heart of someone who is willing to, to say to God, save me, don't save me, it doesn't matter, I worship you. I obey you, I, I trust you. They can put themselves in God's hands, no matter the outcome, that's faith. One preacher, he put it like this, he said, a faith that does not need success is the ultimate success. Faith that does not need the rescue, the miracle, the intervention, save us, don't save us, it doesn't matter. Martin Luther once said, faith is a living and unshakable confidence, a belief in the grace of God so assured that a person would die a thousand deaths for its sake. And that's the challenge of Hebrews 11 to cultivate such a deep and satisfying relationship with God that we rest in Him, whether living or dying, whether comfortable or uncomfortable, whether in want or in plenty, throughout all the circumstances of life. And that we are convicted that God Himself is better than anything that life can give us and better than anything that death could take away. That is what we need to be heroes of the faith. We need a faith that that doesn't require a happy ending. A faith that doesn't require success is the, the ultimate success. And so how do we get that? How do we get that kind of, of faith? Well, the answer, the book of Hebrews says, is, is theology. The answer is you, you need theology. You need to be able to think rightly about God. You need to understand God and you actually, more importantly, you need to understand God's plan. You need to understand what God is doing. That's what the author says in, in verses 39 to 40. Come with me there now, would you? Verses 39 and 40. All these, are, oh, sorry, these were all commended for their faith. Everyone in the list, all the heroes of the faith, they all had faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us, would they be made perfect? Now, so far, our heroes, they've always been able to face the future and face the uncertain because they were looking forward. They were looking forward to the promises of God. Uh, that's what we were told right back at the very beginning in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. You know, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. You know, Noah hoped for rescue from the flood. Abraham hoped for promised blessing through Isaac. Moses 
hoped for the promised freedom from slavery for his people. And that's how they could make all the choices that they did make. That's how they were able to do without things in the short term for the sake of this much better thing in the long term, because they trusted the promises of God. And so they all counted the future blessings as something much more important than whatever was going on in their life at the moment. Much more desirable than any privilege or security that they might have now. And that's how faith operates. Faith, it looks to the future. Faith hopes and faith counts the promises of God as better than anything that we might have now. And here's where I want to just give us a a very careful warning. Uh, Because this is the ultimate danger of what is called charismatic Christianity, despite its popularity. You see, all Christian people, we all know that waiting is hard. We all know that living by God's promises is hard, hoping is hard, living with uncertainty is tough. And so very sadly, what many people and indeed many churches have started to do in our worlds is to teach that actually, you know what? You don't have to wait. You can have it now. You can have the health, you can have the wealth, you can have the success, you can have the victory, you can have the divine intervention, and you can have it now as long as you have enough faith. And they say effectively that yeah, if, you, if you are a person of faith, then you will automatically belong to that, the first half of the list. You will automatically be a, a triumphant hero of the faith. And therefore, if you're not part of the first half of the list, then maybe there's a problem with your faith. Maybe the problem is you, not God. But that's to ignore what Hebrews 11 is actually saying. That's to ignore that the second half of the list, they are just as commended for their faith as the first. The suffering heroes of the faith are just as faithful. They put their their life in the hands of God just as much as those in the first half of the list. And so a subtle thing takes place in so many churches around our world today. And instead of looking to the promises of God that you can hear by his word, they encourage you to look to the power of God that you're experiencing in your life now. To believe not because we have heard from God, but because we can see and even experience it now. And so so which one suddenly becomes more important? God's word or our experience of life, our experience of it of it now. And that's interesting because actually if you go to the very early chapters of John's Gospel, Jesus himself, he actually makes a very sharp distinction between those who believe because they hear his words and those who believe because they see the miracles that Jesus performs. Ear believers and eye believers. And Jesus, he never trusts the eye believers. He knows that they're only following him as long as he's putting on the show, as long as he's performing the miracles. Jesus only trusts those who follow him because they hear his word and trust what he is saying. Now, what sort of believers are all the great heroes of the faith, according to verse 39? Actually, every single one of them, they're they're ear believers. They believe because they hear God's word and they believe it. They believe the promises of God, not because they saw anything now. Because actually in verse 39, it says most of them didn't receive what they'd been promised in their own lifetime. Most of them, they didn't get it and, and nor did they need to. That's not what faith needs. Even the triumphant heroes of the faith, 
most of them did not actually receive what they had been promised. You know, just take a, a few examples. Abraham, you know, Abraham, what had he been promised? He'd been promised a, a huge family and a, a land called his own. At the end of his life, what did Abraham have? He had exactly one son, Isaac, and he had a little field that he owned where he buried his wife. That's all he had. That's all he had of all the great promises of God. Or what about Moses? You know, Moses, well, he was promised that he would lead the people of God to freedom and to the, to the great promised land, but Moses never saw it. Moses died on the very edge of the promised land. He never saw, he never stepped over the Jordan River and even entered into it, not even once. In fact, none of them, no one in this great list in Hebrews 11, fully received what God had promised them. Some didn't see any of it at all. Some saw a little glimmer of it, but none of them really received the fullness. They died in faith, still hoping, still trusting, still looking forward, still listening, but they still died. But verse 40, here's the thing. What does verse 40 have to say? The reason why they didn't receive was not because God didn't keep his promise, but because God had something better planned for them. An even greater blessing a blessing that we have and that we share with them, the blessing of, of Jesus Christ. Verse 40 is saying that all these people from the past, along with us, are going to come and, and be completed together in the city of God and in the new Jerusalem. The great reward that God has promised for all his people, both Old Testament and New Testament, comes by the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are going to get grace and salvation and glory and resurrection through Jesus Christ, just like we do. That ultimately is what they were looking forward to. Christ Jesus is the reward of all who have faith in God. You know, when we, when we get to be with God forever, when we get to the, the new heavens and the new earth that he's preparing for us, who will be there to greet us? But Abraham and Moses and Noah, all the great heroes, everyone on that great list in Hebrews 11, they will all be there. Everyone who is saved is saved through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, they're saved by they looking forward to it, they're the promise of God's salvation. They saw something, but they saw it way off in the future. They never knew the name of Jesus or how it was going to happen. They just knew that God would keep his promise. And that was enough. God says to them, I have something even better in store for you, even better than you could imagine. And to us, Jesus says, you don't have to imagine. You've seen me. See, we too are saved by Jesus, by looking back at what he has done for us. We know his name, we, we see his cross. We already have Jesus. We already have the spirit that he has given. We've already been united with Christ. We know God's promises. And we know that God has promised that one day we too will rise from the dead. In fact, resurrection is the thing that all the heroes of faith have always been waiting for, always longing for, some seeing it clearer than others. Noah hoped for a way to be saved from the judgment of God and to receive new life in verse 7. The patriarchs longed for a heavenly country in verse 16. Abraham, in verse 19, he, he reasoned that God could bring life to the dead. 
And figuratively speaking, God did. Moses knew that sin in Egypt were fleeting and he longed for something more permanent and more durable in verse 25. In verse 35, some women received back their, their children, their sons, but others were tortured and refused to accept release because they hoped for what? Verse 40, a better resurrection. A better resurrection. And that's the one thing that both the triumphant heroes of the faith and the suffering heroes of the faith and we, we all have in common the hope of future resurrection. And that resurrection, it's, it's not just a, a resuscitation. It's not just a restoration to life only to face death again. But it's a resurrection to a better life, to an eternal life. That's what we hope for. The hope of sin ended. The hope of death defeated. The hope of a serpent crushed. The hope of a new heavens and a new earth. The hope of the healing and renewing and restoring power of resurrection. And it, and it is the, the scarlet thread that runs all the way through Hebrews chapter 11. The suffering heroes of the faith, they, they had hope in resurrection. That is the ultimate hope of all those who have faith. And so they were able to say to each other, we're going to get it all back and even more so. So don't hold back. Don't flinch. Because if your hope is in resurrection, then you can endure everything and anything. You see, we can't look at these people in Hebrews 11 and go, you know, they're, they're different to us. They are, we're not like them at all. You know, look at them. Look at the incredible faith that they had. That's not me. I'm, that's a different person to me. Now, verses 39 and, and, and 40, they're saying to us that actually we have better resources than they did. We see more of God's plan than they did. We see Jesus. And so we ought to be able to live bigger lives of greater faith. We ought to almost be able to suffer more. The whole reason why these people are great is because they're not afraid of death. And therefore, they weren't afraid of anything. And yet we shouldn't be afraid of death either. Let me ask you a question. Which part of the list here in verses 32 to 38, which part did Jesus belong to? The top or the bottom? Because it's not the top, is it? So many people in our world, they might accept a Messiah if it came from the top part of the list, the victorious, the triumphant, the, the, the ones who received the miracle but they won't accept a Messiah from the bottom part of the list. They won't accept a Saviour who bleeds, a Saviour who dies, a Saviour who is defeated, who receives no escape, no miracle, no intervention. Jesus himself is the ultimate example to us of a faith that needs no success. And so how can you be so sure of, a, of the future that you're not afraid of death? that you can have the same faith that these people have. Well, you know, lots of religions want to give you stories to help you to face death. And, you know, but Christianity actually gives you a real person risen from the dead. An actual person who, who died under the wrath of God, but who was returned. And now because he lives, because the tomb is empty, we can be sure that so too shall we live.
that death has lost its sting. That's how we learn not to fear death. Let me just finish with this. When the disciples saw those nails being driven into Jesus' hands and into his feet, their lives shattered. They choked, they blew it, they ran for it. They struggled because they never really believed in Jesus. They believed so much in their agenda for Jesus, in what Jesus could do for them. You know, remember James and John asking whether they could sit at Jesus' right and left hands. Those nails destroyed their agenda. And so they thought, you know, our lives are over. It's ruined. It's all over. And some of them even went back to fishing. The disciples thought that those nails were ruining their lives. But in fact, they were bringing them life beyond their imagining, eternal life. By his death, Jesus was perfected. And he obtained perfection for all those who trust in him. And so Jesus says to us, embrace me and every death will lead to a resurrection. Every death, especially the last one. In fact, one day, you know, in about, in about 10,000 years time, one day you're going you're gonna to come and, and say to me, Evan, you know, do you remember when we used to think that that life was important? That that life was was permanent and real and that heaven was somehow vague and wispy and uncertain. How silly we were. How short-sighted we were. And then look now. Look at the new Jerusalem. Look at, look at Jesus. Look at, look at the wounds that are still on his body. His hands and his feet and his side. Ever wondered why the resurrected Jesus still has his wounds? even though we won't have ours in the resurrection? Well, it's because they make him even more beautiful. The tragedy of his suffering, the tragedy of his non-escape from death makes him even more beautiful. We love him more because of his wounds, because they were for us. And so now we know whatever our sorrows and hardships, whatever our uncertainty, whatever our fears and doubts, they will all be turned into even greater joy when we see Jesus face to face. Faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for (coughs) and the conviction of things not seen. And we can suffer everything now for the sake of a far better future. Because we trust Jesus and because we trust that he died and rose for us. So you know what? Once Jesus is part of our story, it's true. There is no tension anymore. The movie's boring because we know how it's going to turn out and we know we can be sure. So trust in Jesus and be a hero. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, what a privilege that you have chosen us to receive such a reward. The same reward as Noah and Abraham and Moses and all of the great heroes of Hebrews chapter 11. That we should receive Jesus and through him resurrection from the dead. 
Thank you that we will see them and meet them and speak with them and even spend eternity with them because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. What an amazing thing for us to get our minds around. At the cross, Jesus really did pay for it all, for all his people, past, present and future. And so, Lord, we pray now, give us their faith in Jesus. Give us an unshakable trust in your Son. The sort of faith that does not waver at all of life's uncertainties. And then keep us in that faith all the days of our life. And we ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.